Hey, this is Paul Tomko, and you're listening to episode 31 of the Anti-Aging Lifestyle. Look, you only get one shot at this thing called life. And your lifestyle, the decisions you make every day, are either making you age faster or slower. Anti-aging is my passion. My goal is to give you the tools to live a long, healthy life. And of course, make sure you look good along your journey. I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to use this podcast to help find those answers so we can all live our best life. Let's get started. Hello, hello. What is going on, everyone? I know it's been... A crazy couple months for most people uh, in the world, actually. Been uh, a lot of changes in my life as well. So I uh, I apologize for the inconsistency, but I'm back to my schedule. Uh, I'm going to shoot for once a week again, and uh, let's get this ball rolling. So uh, a couple quick updates on my end. Currently, I'm back up in the Seattle area, I'm normally down in Los Angeles. I've been spending a lot more time closer to family these last few months which has been great. And uh, also long-term goals. I've always planned to spend a lot more time in Asia and Taiwan, where my my mother is from. And based on certain opportunities that have presented themselves over the last few months, I plan to be uh, moving to Taiwan, uh, at least for most of the year, beginning next year. So anyway, some quick updates on my end. But hopefully all you guys have been healthy and getting through these last few months, a lot of changes. And, you know, whenever we get to think that life is going to be a consistent process and things are going to stay fairly consistent for a period of time, life comes along and reminds us that things are constantly changing and we must learn how to adapt to those changes if we want to be successful in this life. So for today's episode, I want to go through a couple of things that I learned. There's actually five things I wrote down that I learned over the last three months or so that I've been working out from home because all the gyms have been closed. And it's been an interesting time with gyms being closed, a very confusing time. Back in Los Angeles, where I was uh, living at the time, I think March 19th was the official date that most gyms closed. The stay-at-home orders were mandatory and things basically shut down around mid-March. And here we are, you know, the middle of June. It's been three months. The gyms opened back up in LA June 12th, so a few days ago. And up here in Washington, gyms don't plan to be reopening. uh, I mean, it depends on which county you live in, but where I live in, in King County, the gyms don't plan to be reopening until early July. So it's it's been a few months. (laughs) And even when the gyms do open, you know, depending where you live, the gyms may be open And most likely they are open already where you live. And I'm sure you've been seeing a lot of changes, right? There's social distancing that's in place. There's the face coverings that are recommended within, you know, while you're working out. They do temperature screening. You'll notice the employees are following much more strict disinfecting routines. So even with the gyms open, it's been a kind of a different vibe, I'm sure, for a lot of people. And just looking at the numbers again, it's been it's been hard to try to figure out just how bad the coronavirus actually is and how much a threat it is truly to our health. You know, on the average flu season, average flu season for influenza in the U.S. normally kills about 60,000 people. And a lot of people, because the flu is pretty common, 
a lot of people that do die from the flu don't even get tested for influenza. So those numbers could be much, much higher if everyone was getting tested, like the coronavirus testing that's being done today. And today in the U.S., as of this year, we've seen almost 120,000 deaths from, from COVID-19 as of the date of this uh, recording, this podcast, in the middle of June. But again, these numbers, it's hard to compare accurately because we know for a fact that a lot of influenza deaths this season, this year, are being called COVID-19 deaths officially when they tally the death numbers. And that's simply because oftentimes, at least early on, nobody at the hospital, you know, once a patient had already died, no one bothered to swab their throats to confirm that it was, in fact, COVID-19 that, that was in their system and not just influenza virus. So we know those numbers are skewed. We know that under CDC guidelines, that if someone had the COVID-19 in their system, regardless of their death, they were to be uh, counted towards the tally. So, you know, there is a specific uh, instance that I remember where a patient had died after being hit by a bus. But because they tested positive for, for coronavirus, they were being listed having presumed to have died from the virus, regardless of whatever damage the bus did. In Washington state, they admitted that people that were dying from gunshot wounds and car accidents because, you know, COVID-19 was in their system, even if they were asymptomatic, they were being counted towards that tally. So again, as, as just a normal citizen out here trying to figure out what's really going on, watching the news, of course, the news themselves, right? These are news companies. News companies are trying to make money. So they're, of course, going to be promoting different stories that cause, you know, the people to, to watch them and freak out and want to watch more and more and more coverage. So again, just trying to get the facts these last few months has definitely been a challenge to see what real threat. And I know there is a threat of the coronavirus. Being in Washington State, I have known friends, close friends, that have lost both grandparents, like both the grandmother and the grandfather within a week. Like I know this is truly affecting a percentage of the population. Of course, normally much older, I think the average age of uh, people that are dying from the coronavirus is uh, around 70 or so, 75. It's definitely not a young age. And it is definitely affecting the population, but it's been really hard to, to kind of figure out to what extent and how serious that threat has been. All right, that being said, without further ado, I want to go into kind of the top five things that I noticed and realized over the last three months of working out from home. The first thing I thought when realizing that I had to work out from home was I thought over time I was literally going to wither away. Now, I am a hard gainer. It is hard for me to put on muscle, and I lose body fat fairly easily, but I also lose muscle very easily. I'm naturally a very, very skinny person. So I figured once the gyms had closed, I mean, I was going to do what I could to work out at home, but I thought I was just going to lose a ton of muscle. And I found that that wasn't the case, and that surprised me a lot. Because, you know, when you're in the gym, you, you're you using all these different heavy weight plates and tons and tons of plates, throwing them on, you know, squats and leg press and, and deadlifts. I'm using all these different machines and cables and hitting all these different exercises, hitting all the different muscle groups from different angles to make sure to maximize muscle stimulation. And to go from that, from five or six different exercises, to go from that to realizing I was going to be doing probably one or maybe two different exercises per body part. 
I thought there was going to be a big difference with how much muscle I was going to be able to carry on my body. And the truth is, doing push-ups and pull-ups and doing very light lunges and squats and jump squats and modified, you know, lateral raises and curls using using whatever light weights I had or or bags or, you know, buckets full of rocks, whatever I had at home, I actually lost very little muscle. And that that has surprised me and continues to surprise me. You know, I, I may not be at my 100%, but I'm not that far off. I'm I may be at 95% or 90% at the at the lowest. And it, it's it's strange to look in the mirror and see myself looking you know, very close to my normal size, normal look, even though I haven't been in the gym for over three months. And one benefit to that is just almost freeing my mind. You know, I've been working out consistently in the gym for almost 20 years. And it's become part of my routine. It's a habit. It's something that I don't even think about anymore. It's I wake up in the morning, you know, my brushing my teeth, I'm eating my meals, I'm going to sleep every single day, and I'm also going to the gym. It's a, it's a part of my routine. There is no option. It is part of my lifestyle. But that being said, when the gym was taken away and the workouts had to be done at home, suddenly I found it very freeing mentally to realize that there are times, there are days when I don't need to go to the gym anymore and I'm not going to wither away. I'm not going to disappear. It's fine. And if anything, it's probably healthy to give yourself a mental break. And I do give myself breaks every once in a while throughout a normal year. I may take a couple of days off here and there. I might take up to you know five or six days off if I'm going on vacation. But for the most part, I'm very, very consistent. And now I realize not that I should be less consistent than I have been. I think being consistent is very important. But it's not always important to go to the gym and do your structured workouts. I think it's it's uh, very liberating to realize that you can sometimes work out at home, go outside and go for a run, do bodyweight exercises, and you're, you're still going to be fine. Nothing's going to really change. Now, the second big thing I had to realize over the last three months is I had to cut my food intake dramatically. Now, back in, you know, mid-March when the gyms closed, I kept eating a good amount of the calories that I was eating normally. I didn't have my post-workout shake, so that was about 600 calories less than normal. But for the most part, I was still eating the rest of my food. And it didn't take it very long. After a week, after a week, I started noticing, like, huh, I seem to be getting a little bit thicker. And after two weeks, I was like looking in the, in the mirror and I was like, yo, like I'm getting fat. Like I'm, I'm definitely getting some fat here. It almost shocked me how few calories I was burning just because I wasn't going to the gym, even though I was doing home workouts, because my normal job itself, I'm normally on my feet five or six hours a day, you know, in the gym training people or just working. And you take those five or six hours of moving away Plus, you're limiting the the length and duration and the intensity of your workouts, just working out from home. And I, I needed to cut my calories more than I thought I needed to. And it's funny because if you go online, there's a lot of caloric requirement calculators that try to calculate how many calories you need to eat each day to maintain your, your weight, to grow muscle, or to lose body fat. And oftentimes, I found those calculators overweight the importance of your BMR. Now, the BMR is your basal metallic rate, and it's kind of how many calories that you're burning just being sedentary by not moving just to kind of maintain your life function. And on top of that base, on top of that BMR calorie burn each day, 
then you add in your activity levels and your workouts and based on the the duration and the intensity of those workouts, they give you a, a total number for the amount of calories to consume each day. And most of these calculators have the BMR, that basal metabolic rate, that base factor, being a high, high percentage of the total calories. Normally, you know, just a lot of calculators will have it around 80, 70 to 80%, which is pretty, pretty high. So for example, meaning if your basal metabolic rate is 2,000 calories a day, and if that's 80% of your total calorie burn, that means once you add your workouts and your movement, your total calorie consumption is 2,500 calories a day. So again, 2,000 from the BMR plus another 500 calories to make up that last 20% equals a total of 2,500 calories, 2,500 calories a day to maintain your weight in this example. But again, it depends on the intensity of the exercise, the duration, whether you're an ectomorph, mesomorph, or endomorph. You know, an ectomorph, someone that's naturally skinny is going to be burning a lot more calories when they're active, whereas someone like an endomorph will almost shut down when they're not moving. And, you know, it depends whether you're well hydrated. Someone that's well hydrated will burn more calories. If you're doing like a, a high-intensity interval training, a HIIT workout versus a low-intensity workout has a huge difference. I've talked about HIIT training extensively in the past, but there's something called EPOC, which is excess post-exercise oxygen consumption. So when you're doing HIIT training, you get a huge afterburn effect. So maybe your workout only lasts for an hour, but your metabolism may stay elevated for upwards of 24 to 36 hours after that workout is complete if it's intense enough and it boosts your metabolism doing a, a very intense workout. So my normal workouts were an hour or an hour and a half. And, you know, they're normally pretty intense workouts. Once I took those away and I, and I swapped them out with home workouts and I stopped moving so much, I personally had to cut my calories a total of about 30 to 40% from where they normally were just to stop gaining so much weight and just to kind of get my body weight back in check. And I didn't think I was overindulging, but just the fact that I wasn't moving, I was surprised at how much I had to cut my calories. The third thing that I realized and noticed was I didn't need to work out as long to, to maintain my size. And this was kind of a surprise. It wasn't, I didn't do this on purpose. But again, when you're in the gym, there's a ton of variety. So you're, you're doing these different exercises and it's much easier to do a longer workout, like an hour, hour and a half because you have all that variety. And then once you're at home, you realize, like, I don't have that much equipment here. I'm just using my body weight. Like, how many sets are you really going to do of push-ups? Like, are you really going to do more than 10 sets? I mean, you can try, but at, at some point, you're going to be like, okay, I feel like I'm good. Like, I'm A, I'm really bored. B, I feel like my, my muscles have already been stimulated. So I'm just going to stop my workout here. And I found that my hour to hour and a half workouts came down and kind of cut down to 30 minutes or 45 minute workouts and at that point I was like like I was all pumped up at home I felt like my muscles had been stimulated I was kind of bored and uh, that's basically where I stopped my workouts and one thing again like I said before is I maintained most of my size and part of me was like well why was I working out so long and hard before now of course that's not the the right mindset to have but it did get me questioning things. I was like, okay, well, again, another confirmation. 
I don't always need to work out so long and so intense and worry about my muscles disappearing overnight because they won't. And this kind of forced experiment has taught me that. So it's nice to have that reminder that, you know, when things are busy and maybe life is very hectic in the future, that if I can only go in for a quick 30 or 45 minute workout at the gym, that's totally fine. I don't need to block out an hour and a half or a two hour chunk of my day just to make sure that I'm getting it in. Knowing that a short workout can be almost, if not more effective in certain scenarios was, uh, again, very liberating for me mentally to just have that reminder. Now, the fourth thing I realized is just how much I honestly appreciate gym equipment. I mean, back in the day, hundreds of years ago, before all this gym equipment ever existed, I mean, there's probably a reason why most people weren't in in the best shape. (laughs) I mean, it was just hard to, to work out. I mean, you could be lifting rocks and stuff or you could be staying active, but to actually build your body and build your muscles and build a strong physique. It's challenging to find things in their environment, in the world, the natural world, that are heavy, that are easy to grip, that are that are not going to put a ton of, of stress on your joints in a bad way, right? It's, it's hard to carry a boulder and do squats with it and do lunges with it. I mean, we're just not really built to be holding boulders and rocks uh, for long durations of time. And they're definitely harder on the joints than holding something like a, a very conveniently gripped dumbbell. So I found a new appreciation for when the gyms do open again and when I get back in there about how nice it is to have these machines and these cables and these all these different exercises that hit these different parts of your muscles with very easy to grip handles and things that really just make working out much, much easier than I ever kind of realized. But yeah, just a new appreciation for the gym and all the equipment that is designed and built to help us stay in shape. And uh, my father, for example, has some mobility concerns and issues. And I just realized, you know, he has a hard time. He has had a hard time the last three months of staying active, staying in shape. You know, we try to go on walks and work out, you know, do some light lifting at home. But it's been tough for him, much tougher for him than it is for me. And I just have a new appreciation for the gym and its ability to kind of take care of my father in a way that it allows him to stay in shape, to still do cardio even though, you know, he can't move as well, and to work out his different muscles without putting undue stress on his joints. So yeah, just an overall new appreciation for the gym. And the last thing, the last big thing that I realized over the last few months is how nice having a home gym actually is. And now I know there is a social aspect of working out in a public setting Because we are social creatures, and if you are home all the time, that is not healthy. That is not healthy for your mind. And you can use the gym as a social outlet, for sure, 100%. And it's fun, right? It makes things more fun. When you go to the gym, you see your workout buddies, you're working out with them, you get to say hi to them. It's a very social, fun thing, and it makes working out oftentimes a lot more fun. That being said, it is kind of nice to work out at home, like... There's no commute to the gym. There's no asking people like, hey, like how many more sets do you have? Are you almost done? There's none of that. And working out at home, I don't need to wear headphones to listen to whatever I want to listen to, right? I'm listening, normally I'm listening to podcasts or motivational YouTube videos. 
Uh, the last few months, I've been on a, a kick of listening to Mandarin conversations because I'm kind of trying to work on my Mandarin, my Chinese fluency. But the point is, it's it's nice just not having to wear any headphones or headsets, and I can listen to whatever I want to listen to. It's just nice. I can open the garage door, open the side door, open some windows, get some nice cross breeze going. And there's definitely a lot of benefits. I wish I had more equipment. I wish I was more prepared, of course. Looking at how much gym equipment was selling for on Amazon was crazy. Selling a set of dumbbells for over $100. I mean, it got insane online on Craigslist to try to buy gym equipment a few months ago. Absolutely insane with the prices. So it would have been nice to have more equipment than I did have. But even with what limited equipment I did have, there was a lot of benefits and a lot of a lot of things that were nice about working out at home in the convenience of your own home. So those are my five main tips that I realized from working out at home the last few months. I'm going to end the episode there. And right now we're going to roll into Tomco Tip 31. We're going to be talking about why it's so important that we are not afraid to pivot in life, to adjust your approach to whatever goal that you're trying to pursue. So let's get into that right now. Here we go. All right, today on Tomco Tip 31, I want to talk about why it's so important not to be afraid to pivot in life, to change your approach as you pursue your goal. Humans are habitual creatures, right? We like to stick to a habit. We like to stick to routine. But we have to realize that life, life is always changing. And I'm sure the last three months have been a big reminder of that fact. I mean, just think about what your life was like at the end of February or early March and compare it to how it's been, you know, recently. There's just so many different changes to your routine, to the way that you do things when you're in public, to having access to facilities that you took for granted. Life is always changing and and to have a rigid approach to life is definitely a mistake in my opinion. Now, it's very important to have an end goal because that end goal, whatever you're striving for, whether it's ambition with your career or a business that you have or your relationship or whatever it is. Having an end goal that you focus on gives meaning to your life. It gives meaning to every single day. So having a goal is very healthy and you should be fairly rigid with that goal. You should not change that goal all the time because then you're never going to get anywhere in life. But even when you have a rigid goal, you should be very flexible with your approach. You need to be flexible. It's very important to always ask yourself, how can I do things better? How can I do things more efficiently to increase the probabilities of achieving my goal, right? Because there's no guarantee that you will achieve your goal. Elon Musk always talks about life being a branching stream of probabilities where there's certain things and every action that you take either increases your chance of achieving your goal, increases your probability of achieving whatever you want to achieve or decreases it. So your actions, every single action changes that probability. So even with your goal being rigid and something that you want to achieve, you always have to ask yourself, how can I do things better? How can I do things in a more intelligent way to optimize my chance of success? So using myself as an example, I don't talk about my long-term goals too much on this podcast because this podcast is focused primarily on anti-aging lifestyle, things that we can do to stay healthy, stay younger, and optimize our life. But some of my personal goals include making films, 
making inspirational films, uh, using films to inspire people to be healthy and fit, and also using films as a way to bridge cultural gaps that exist in our society. I was raised in a multicultural background, you know, Chinese American, where my mother is from Taiwan, and I have Chinese ancestors. My father comes from Slovakia, and his family is all from Czechoslovakia originally, now Slovakia. So I have that experience of living from different cultures, and I see a lot of the cultural gaps that are present in our society. So I know I want to do films in the future. I know that I want to film in Asia in the future. And three months ago, four months ago, those were much further down my list of things to get done. They were kind of five years from now. I'm going to focus on that. Three years from now, I'll start doing that. But three months ago, when gyms shut down in Los Angeles and my personal training business was basically put on freeze. I had to take a closer look at my approach to my goal and figure out, okay, things are changing now. Is there a way that I can more effectively and more efficiently achieve my goal? I realized that by tweaking some things in my lifestyle, by cutting down on my expenses, I was able to accelerate my path to achieving my goal, to the point where I am now able to go out to Taiwan as soon as next spring and spend most of the year out there. In Taiwan, doing films, of course, still podcasting, making videos, and accelerating the process of achieving my goal. And if I wasn't in this position, if business was still thriving in Los Angeles like it was earlier this year, then I would never have been in this opportunity to accelerate my my approach to my goal. So you always want to look at the variables in your life, look at the circumstances, and find ways, find ways to pivot to optimize your approach. To increase your probability of achieving your goal, but that's it for this episode. Thank you guys again so much for listening, and until next time, thanks. Love you guys. Bye.